In Saving Private Ryan, <coughs> a group of soldiers is tasked with finding one Private James Ryan. Ryan is battling Nazis in World War II somewhere in France uh, on the front lines. His brothers have all been killed in the war, and the U.S. Army thinks it merciful to find and extract him from the fighting uh, for his mother's sake. Now, Ryan is saved and returned home, but at great cost. Nearly the entire unit of men sent to find him uh, dies, including the captain of the unit. Now, before he breathes his last, Captain Miller tells Ryan, earn this. Earn the sacrifice we all have made for you today. Now, at least in the movie, Private Ryan goes on to try his best. He lives a life of, of character and sacrifice and honor. As he visits the captain's grave towards the end of his life and at the end of the movie, he sobs, I hope that I've earned everything you gave up for me. This is a sacrifice that Ryan can never really pay back but must try. There are those debts, right? There are those debts we all owe and can't pay back, but must try. The debt we owe to all you know, US service per personnel who gave up their lives so that we could have our freedom. The debt we owe to Christian martyrs who gave up their lives to safeguard our faith. The debt we owe to our parents who gave up so much to bring us into the world. These are unpayable debts we can never really pay back, but must live or die trying. This morning, I want to consider another debt we all owe and cannot pay back, but must spend our lives trying to pay back anyway. It is the debt of love that we owe God and Jesus for giving up his life for ours and rescuing us from the front lines of sin and death. We learn about this unpayable debt in the book of Romans. We're studying the book of Romans in a series here at Rooftop that is currently called Morph. Romans, if you don't know, it's a very important letter in the New Testament. It was written by a guy named Paul. The New Testament is that portion of the Bible written about and after the life of Jesus. Uh, right now we're in the final section of Romans, which is sort of the practical application set, uh, section. It's... it's uh, in this section, Paul is describing what Christian theology should look like in our lives, how it should change us as people, because the gospel, the message of Christianity, should, should change us. It should transform us. It should morph us, which is the word that Paul uses. I mean, if you're, if you're a Christian and you're not really changing, then you're probably not a Christian, because Christians change. It's sort of the premise of this series. And one of the ways that Christians change, one of the ways that Christians morph, is by becoming people who love more and better. So let me go ahead and share with you the passage about love that we're going to study this morning. It's Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be, are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. 
Now, this passage is all about the debt of love that we owe to God and our obligation to love one another, our neighbors, as ourselves, as the law commands. That's the, the big point of the passage, that love of others is the fulfillment of the law and our obligation to God. And, and we'll get to that in a moment. But Paul's transition to this point is a memorable one, and I actually think it's an important one worthy of discussion, albeit a, a brief one that he makes. He writes, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another because anyone who loves his neighbor uh, has fulfilled the law. That statement follows from Paul's previous discussion, which Jacob talked about last week, that Christians should submit to government authorities as those instituted by God. We should pay taxes if we owe them. We should pay respect if we owe it. We should pay honor if we owe that. And this doesn't just apply to the government, Paul says. In general, we should pay people what they owe them. Let no debt remain outstanding. Now, like I said, this isn't Paul's main point, so I won't dwell on it, but it at least bears mentioning because debt is such a terrible problem in our world today. You know as well as I do that our society is hooked on debt. We have literally been sold, literally been sold the promise that we can have whatever we want now and pay for it later, usually at very expensive interest rates. If we want something... What do we go do? We go buy it. We pay for it later, no problem. And with the easy availability of credit and loans, Americans are awash in debt. The average American household actually has $5,700 worth of credit card bills. The average American student graduates from college with $25,000 worth of student loans. And if you think that's excessive, the federal government is currently in debt by $21.48 trillion. That's a lot of dollars. Now, I, I will confess that I am one to, to rail against our local and federal governments for, for amassing so much debt, and a lot of Americans today just kind of hate the way the government uh, borrows money and just amasses huge amounts of debt. But uh, to, to rail against government debt while ourselves being awash in mortgages and, and loans and credit card bills, well, there's a, there's a word for that. There's a word for that. What is that? Oh, it's hypocrisy. That's the word right there. <laughs> Now, again, debt is not inherently evil. There is such a thing as good debt, but it is dangerous and excessive debt is irresponsible. And Paul's point is unchristian. In Paul's mind, Christians aren't just spiritual people who make good moral Christian decisions, but fiscally responsible people who know how to manage their finances and stay out of debt. Christians are good stewards. It's one of the ways that we should morph. Christians should grow into people who take better care of their money. Now, I don't say that to make anybody feel bad, because I know we all struggle with this, but I say it to reassert what Scripture says about being good stewards of God's money. It's why we try to offer financial uh, stewardship classes here at Rooftop every now and then to help people who struggle in this regard. If that's something that you'd be interested, by all means, let us know on your info card, and we'll try to set you up. So, pay your debts, though. That's what Paul says. Like I said, though, that is not Paul's main point. While true and important, Paul uses that mostly as a transition back to his main thesis, which has to do with our obligation to love. His real point here is that love of neighbors is the fulfillment of the law. That's what he says. Let no debt remain outstanding except our continuing debt to love one another because he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Now, if that's Paul's main point, what does he mean? What does it mean that love fulfills the law and, equally important, what does it have to do with us? 
Well, remember that the law is a big deal in the book of Romans. There were a lot of first century Jews in Paul's audience. Jews, at least according to their own self-understanding, they were God's chosen people, the people of the Old Testament. And the Old Testament had lots of stuff. It had poems, it had stories, but it also had a lot of rules, a lot of laws. And the laws of the Old Testament were a source of great pride for Israel. They felt very honored to have them, and the Jews worked very hard to obey the hundreds and hundreds of rules and precepts found in the law. Social laws about how to interact with other people. Religious laws about you know, how to worship God. Dietary laws about what to eat. Moral laws about, about how to behave. And Paul lists some of those rules here in the passage. Rules he borrows from the Ten Commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. So the nation of Israel had lots and lots of laws in the Old Testament. And here in this passage, Paul actually takes one of them, just one of them. It's an actual law, the law of loving your neighbors yourself. It's actually in the law. It's Leviticus 19.18. He takes that one law and he says all the other laws are sort of summed up in that one law. Love your neighbors yourself. Now, you might know that Jesus said the same thing. That along with loving God, loving neighbors is what the law is all about. Now, how is loving neighbors what the law is all about? Well, as Paul says, many of the laws in the Old Testament are designed to keep us from hurting other people. Don't commit adultery. That would hurt somebody. Don't murder anybody. That would hurt somebody. Don't covet. Don't steal. Those would hurt people. Those are given to keep us from hurting our neighbors, and that's at least part of what, the, of what love is. Love is not hurting others, so love fulfills the law. Now, that's Paul's main point. What does it have to do with us, though? We might not be Jewish, and we might not care that much about the Old Testament law. Can't we just love each other and be done with it? Well, this is where I think this passage gets really interesting. Been a little boring up to this point. It's okay, I get it. But here's where it gets interesting. Remember that Paul is not just writing to Jews. He's also writing to Gentiles. A Gentile is, by definition, a non-Jew. And the church in Rome had both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Jewish Christians were, were, were Old Testament Jews who sort of converted to Christianity, and Gentiles were like pagan non-Jewish people who became Christians as well. And both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians had different opinions when it came to the law. This is a gross oversimplification that my seminary professors would be deeply offended by if they saw me say it, if they heard me say it. But in general, first century Jews were law keepers and first century Gentiles were law breakers. Jews loved their law because it was given to them by God, gave them a source of national pride, and Gentiles didn't like the law because it was filled with all these weird and hard-to-keep rules and regulations, and they didn't really think it applied to them. And in this passage, Paul is actually gently rebuking and correcting both Jewish rule keepers and Gentile rule breakers. And this is where the passage becomes very relevant to you and I, because as we've talked about in our study of Romans so far, Many of us in this room are Jews, and many of us in this room are Gentiles. Now, I'm not talking about religious identity or ethnic history. I'm talking about how we approach God and faith. 
Many of us behave like Jewish law keepers, and many of us behave like Gentile law breakers. And when it comes to becoming people who love better, which is Paul's point here, when it comes to becoming people who love better, more deeply, more effectively, I actually think it's helpful to understand what type of person we are so that we can hear more specifically how God, through Paul, is speaking to us this morning. Let's jump in. Let's talk first about Jewish rule keepers. Like I mentioned, many of the Jews Paul is writing to were very devoted law keepers, and many of them were very, very good at it. There was an entire group of people in the Bible who specialized in law keeping. They were known as the Pharisees. Paul himself admits to being a Pharisee. The Pharisees, this was their job to obey the law. They had actually memorized all the laws in the Old Testament and in other books ancillary to the Old Testament. They had memorized all of them, and they made it a point every day of obeying every jot and tittle of the law. And a lot of them were so good at obeying the law that they actually sort of felt like they had achieved God's righteousness in his eyes. They were that good at law-keeping. Now, whether or not they had actually done that is a different question, but it's at least impressive The problem here, though, with people who are devoted to law-keeping is that it becomes really easy to forget the purpose of the law, which is love. (laughs) There's actually a famous story in the Gospel of Luke that you might uh, be familiar with. In Luke, uh, Jesus is hanging out with a group of Pharisees. They're having dinner. And there's a sick guy there, a, a, a man with uh, dropsy, which is a, an old term for a, a, like a, a flesh illness. And um, Jesus really wants to heal the guy because you know, he came to save and heal. And uh, there's only just a problem. Uh, there's a problem with the situation. What's the problem? It's a Saturday, the Sabbath. And one of the laws that that Israel had was that you couldn't do certain types of work on the Sabbath. And at least according to to a lot of their interpretation, during doing work involved like lifting stuff and and healing people and and doing certain types of medical care. And you, you get the impression, actually, that this is a little bit of a setup that the Pharisees have like invited this guy in to, to see what Jesus does, and they're like watching. Is Jesus going to heal him and like break the law, and then we can throw him in prison, or is he going to like not heal him, and then we're going to expose him as you know a, a heartless, uh, uncaring person? And Jesus knows exactly what's going on, right? And he actually says something to the Pharisees. He says this. He says, if one of you has a son, or not even a son, an ox, that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? Even though technically that would probably be breaking the law because you're like lifting something, wouldn't you like immediately jump in and pull him out? And I love what Luke says next as he's sort of narrating this event. He says, and the Pharisees had nothing to say. Now, why didn't they actually have anything to say? Is because they knew they had been gotten? Oh, he got us. Mm, nothing to say. <laughs> or is it because they actually didn't know what they would do if their son or their ox fell down a, a, a well? <laughs> oh, no, Timmy! 
Could you have not fallen down the well on Thursday? I'll get to you tomorrow. Here's some reading material and a granola bar. Nonetheless, Jesus, what does he do? He goes ahead and heals the guy, and he escapes. What's important to understand is that the Pharisees were kind of right here. There were actually laws against working on the Sabbath. But they had forgotten the purpose of the law, which was to have a day on which they could love God and love each other. That was the purpose. So to not pull your your ox or your son out of a well... Or to not heal a sick person because it was Saturday. Well, that just shows us how they had forgotten the purpose of the law, which is to love. So if by obeying and keeping laws, we are loving people less, there is a very good chance that we've completely misinterpreted God's commands. That's the problem with forgetting the purpose of the law. It focuses on legalism instead of love. And a lot of us do this. Plenty of us are law keepers who have forgotten that the purpose of the law is love. We're very good at law keeping, but aren't good at love giving. There are some rules that we stick to while forgetting their purpose. Like the rule that Christians should go to church. That's a rule, right? Christians should go to church. And the Bible says it's kind of a rule. I mean, Hebrews says, let us not give up meeting together or some are in the, in the habit of doing. Christians should go to church. Kind of a rule. Uh, most Christians go to church, although not as many as you think go to church. Uh, I just saw the statistic. 75% of Americans say they're Christian. 37 Americans go to church with any regularity. So not a rule that maybe a lot of people feel like they need to obey. But for those people who do, do we follow that rule out of love while practicing love? I know an awful lot of Christians who go to church to check a box off. They're here, but they don't say hi to anybody. They don't use their gifts to serve other people. They don't really engage one another as they would want to be engaged. Now, I actually want to be careful here because I know we have a lot of visitors who are like here to check things out. You're like checking God out. You're checking church out. You kind of want to come. You want to leave. You want to be anonymous. I really, I completely understand that. I think God does too. But if you've been a Christian for any length of time, and if you've been going to church for any length of time, and you're not engaging your neighbor as you would want to be engaged, you're actually not going to church. You're actually not obeying the law. You're as much of a lawbreaker as pagan Gentiles. You can't go to church, not talk to anyone, not serve others, and say you kept God's law. You're breaking the law, breaking the law. There's lots of rules that Christians are very good at obeying, but not in a spirit of love, like submitting to church leaders. We'll do what our church leaders tell us, but not in a spirit of love. Or or honoring parents. We'll obey our parents, but with a grudging attitude. Or staying married. You know, law against divorce. We'll stay married, but not because we love our spouse. If we're really good rule keepers, like many of the Jews, we have to remember the purpose of the law, which is to help us love others better. If we're obeying the law but not loving others, we're as disobedient as rule-breaking Gentiles. Speaking of rule-breaking Gentiles, let's talk about them. What does this passage mean for us who are Gentile rule-breakers? I'm sure there are some rule-breakers in our midst. Are there any rule-breakers in our midst here today? Raise your hand. Be proud. I know there's a lot of you who are like, I'm not going to raise my hand. I'm going to do what pastors tell me. I'm a rule breaker. 
Um, in Paul's day, the Gentiles were not all rule breakers, but many of them did think that the law, it was too harsh, and God doesn't really care about laws anymore, so you can kind of do whatever you want, as long as you focus on, you know, really loving other people. And there's actually a lot of these types of people today. There's, there's a, 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 a famous old theological word to describe these types of people. They're called antinomians. Antinomianism, it means like against the law. Uh, and there are a lot of people who say that the law doesn't really matter anymore. What matters is, is love. Paul would strenuously disagree. Rule keepers need to learn the purpose of the law, and rule breakers, antinomians, need to learn the goodness of the law. Paul has challenged the Jews' interpretation of the law throughout Romans, but he has affirmed its essential goodness. Laws and rules are good because they reveal God's will for us and stretch us and challenge us. Now, a lot of Christians reject God's laws as old-fashioned and, and, and not binding on us anymore. We say things like, well, didn't Jesus die to save us from the law? And sure, there is plenty to debate here. There really is. The relationship between Christianity and Old Testament laws is very complicated on theological and practical grounds. But let's be honest. Those of us who don't obey many laws in Scripture don't do it, not because we have theological problems, but because we just don't want to. Take, for example, the Old Testament law of tithing. To tithe is to give the first 10% of our income of God's work, to God's work. That's a law. It's in the Old Testament. Nothing in the New Testament overturns that law. It's a difficult law. Because life is expensive, 10% is a lot. Even in the richest country in the history of the world, 10% is a, uh, is a lot. I know, I struggle to write that check every month. I must confess, I do not write my tithe check with a, a heart overflowing with love and goodwill. <laughs> now because the law of tithing is a hard law, we find ways around it. Well, what's important, you know, is that, is that I'm, I'm loving others. Uh, well, I'll make it up to God, you know, when I win the lottery. Uh, well, I, I can't give my money, so I'll get my time. Or, you know, aren't we free from the Old Testament law anyway? We say things like this mostly to get out of having to tithe because tithing is hard and we want to drive a nicer car. And tithing is hard, but we rule breaker, breakers need to learn the goodness of this law, that it's a good law given to us so that we can love God better by giving to his work and love people better by contributing to their needs and that we can have our characters formed and guide us into acts of love that go beyond our verbal professions, which are really easy to make and hard to back up. By tithing, I'm kind of being forced to do a good thing, to become a generous person, to give to the poor, to give to missionaries, to support the building of the kingdom. But there's lots of rules given to us in Scripture that are good ones given to us to help us love more. The law of tithing, the law of worship, the law of Sabbath, the law of hospitality, the law of welcoming strangers and foreigners into our lives. Contrary to popular opinion, there are rules in Christianity there aren't a lot of them, and they are subject to debate, of course, but we have them, and they're not bad. They're good. And what we rule breakers need to learn is the goodness of God's rules. 
So Paul's words on love as the summation of the law should impact us differently depending on our opinion of the law. If we're a Jewish rule keeper, we need to learn the purpose of the law, which is love. And if we're a Gentile rule breaker, we need to learn the goodness of the law, which is to help us love better. So the question worth asking ourselves this morning is, which one are we? Are we a rule keeper? Or are we a rule breaker? Do we need to learn the purpose of the law, or do we need to learn the goodness of the law? I've been thinking about this a lot. I actually need to learn both. I pick my spots. I'm a rule breaker when I want to be a rule breaker. I'm a rule keeper when I want to be a rule keeper. Uh, I love keeping rules because it makes me feel good about myself, but I forget oftentimes that they're designed to help me love God and love others better. I love breaking rules when I don't want to obey them, like the rule of the Sabbath. I, I do not do very good at honoring God with my time, giving him the rest and the focus he deserves. What about you? So that's an important question. Are we a rule breaker, rule keeper? I'll leave it to you to decide. Whatever your answer, though, and returning to Paul's main point, before we wrap up, to love our neighbors as ourselves, as a fulfillment of the law, this is our unpayable debt. That's what Paul says. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continual debt to love one another. Love is not a debt we could ever pay back. But let me ask an important question before we close with communion this morning. Why not? Why is love, as the fulfillment of the law, a debt we can never pay back? Well, hopefully you know, and if you don't, let me have the honor of being the first to tell you. Love is not a debt we can ever pay back because the amount of love that God has shown us in Jesus Christ is just too great. The amount of love and grace that God has shown us in Christ on the cross is so unfathomably great that no act of brotherly kindness can ever make a dent in the size of the debt we owe. It's like what Private Ryan realized. No life of integrity ever is going to make up for the, for the dozen soldiers that gave their lives for his. Similarly, what did God give up for our sake? How much did God spend on our behalf? He came to earth. He suffered torture and death for our sakes. He did so to pay the debt of sin that we owe, and he did it for love. He did it because he loves us as his friends. That's what he says. Greater love has no one than this. And he laid down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus did. He laid down his life for us because he loves us as his friends. And in so doing, he gives us the chance to be forgiven and to receive the gift of eternal life. And he also makes available to us the power of love so that we can love in better ways and more deeply. That's the thing about the law. That whether or not we're lawbreakers or lawgivers, we'll never be able to obey the law in a spirit of love without receiving it from outside ourselves. We don't have that much love in us. We don't have it inside of us to love others as ourselves. We are too sinful, and the law of love is too hard. The law of love is too hard to obey. But this is what Jesus came to do. He came not only to forgive us of our sins, but to show us how to love and to pour his divine love, his divine grace inside of us so that we could love others the way he loves us. So whether you're a lawbreaker or a law keeper, the key for you to love better isn't to try harder. Whether you're a lawbreaker or a law keeper, the key for you is to let yourself be loved. 
Let yourself be loved by a God of love who gave, gave up everything to rescue you from the front lines of sin and death. This is a debt of love we can never pay back, but it is a debt we must live and die trying.